Welcome to On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. We're your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and Janet Allison of boysalive.com. Rosalind Wiseman has been listening to and occasionally arguing with young people about everything and anything that's important to them for the past 20 years. Her work is based on the belief that young people's experiences are important, but often discounted, and that adults often give young people advice without listening to them first. We are so thrilled to have Rosalind Wiseman with us. Hi. So great to have you. Your work through Cultures of Dignity highlights social emotional learning, helping communities grapple with issues like bullying, ethical leadership, social media, all the things that especially parents of boys, because that's who's who's listening to us now, are concerned with. And your books, Queen Bees and Wannabes and Masterminds and Wingmen have really opened up such a passageway into the minds of girls and boys and given us all a greater understanding of teen world. You yourself are the mom of two teen boys. I am. So you're living it every minute, just like our dear Jen is living with her four boys. So I'd love to just dive in. You know, your book came out a, a few years ago, and man, so much has changed in the world since then. Well, for the last um, couple of years, I've been really focusing on what it takes to implement social emotional learning in a way that's credible to girls and boys in a school, in a school system. So um, really one of the things that I've been working on for my entire career is trying to get over the challenge, especially for boys, about the work that we do on um, character development, kindness, empathy, you know, making good decisions, being able to speak your emotions, that most of the time, the way in which we do these programs is really alienating to boys and, and to girls, but I'll focus on boys for this podcast. It's not done with them in mind. It's done with what we think they need, but it's not done with them recognizing that they are the resources that they are and the subject matter experts of their own lives that they are, and that we have to listen to them about how they want to be taught and to be worked with in collaboration when we do this work. And so for very good reason, boys really usually think that these kinds of programs, the programs that I do and a lot of people do, are not realistic. And at best, they're polite in class. And at worst, you know, sometimes they can be disrespectful and it lends this thing of boys don't care or they're hard to work with. And they're not. If you respect their experiences and you ask them to work with you, they will talk. They will talk about their lives. They will talk about their frustrations. So that's what I've been doing for the last two years is really doing a deep dive into how to make these programs credible. So what, what would you say the number one realization that you could share with our listeners is about how to be credible with mm -hmm. their boys? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a couple things. One is we have to stop freaking out and being and letting the, our, our own anxiety drive our parenting. I think the other is that we have to stop making assumptions about boys. We have to ask them. We lecture boys a lot. We give them um, what they that what we think they should be hearing, and we do it in a way that can be really patronizing. 
And for good reason, as I said before, boys just stop listening. And then we have this stereotype that boys don't want to talk to us. And they say at the end of the day, like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Don't talk to me. I mean, what I know, especially as a mother of boys, is that we often, especially at the end of the day, when they just want to decompress and they just need some time to be quiet and like settle down, that we ask them a lot of questions. We ask them way too many questions. Like, how was your day? How was your school? How was practice? Did you do this? Did you do that? Do that. And I understand, like, again, as a mom of two boys, we have to work with them and guide them because it's hard for them sometimes to hold, you know, all of these things they're learning to be accountable for. We need to hold them accountable. But when we see them, when we start asking them all different kinds of questions, they shut down. And that's not about the fact that they don't want to tell us. It's that we are exhausting them with the amount of questions that they ask. And then if they don't respond well, meaning they don't, you know, answer all the questions thoroughly, then we get mad at them for being moody. So it's just, it's really a setup. My recommendation for parents is that when they see their children, you know, and especially boys, when you see your son at the end of the day, just like show them affection and that you're glad that they're in your life and just let them be for a few minutes. That's going to help your relationship more than anything. Mm-hmm. Bonding in silence. And yes, bonding goes, in silence is a good thing. Goes so counter to what we, what we do as females, isn't it? Yeah. We just want to hear more and ask more questions. Yeah. And, you know, I also think that when they're, because I just went through this with one of my sons, I think that when we get angry as moms, I mean, not all moms are like this, but I think that there are... If you recognize yourself as a mom who is very intense about things, I think that our sons are very, very reactive about our intensity, that we just become too much for them and that they cannot process all of the feelings. And they certainly can't articulate the feelings that they're having in that moment. And if it's just, we just become intolerably overwhelming. And then what happens is they either super, super shut down or they lash out. And that is complicated for women. And I think because we also, we all, we bring our own baggage to, and our own like scripts about what we do when we're in a conflict with a a male person, regardless if it's our son or not. I think we need to recognize that sometimes we can just be overwhelming and recognize that and give them the space that they need and then come back later and say like, can we talk now? Yeah. Yeah. And often giving him a heads up, you know, Mm -hmm. let's talk in an hour after you've had a snack and some downtime. I'm curious, I mean, we can go really far down this path, but I want to back us up a little bit because I'm curious about what was the touchstone event in your life that sent you on this path to being such an advocate for especially teens, but um, tweens and teens. Mm-hmm. Boys and girls. Um, I think that as a teenager, even though I, I grew up in a you know good you know in a family that was not abusing power necessarily, and it was a pretty when I was growing up, it was a pretty emotionally healthy family. I certainly saw a lot of abusive power in my own life, and I certainly saw adults be hypocritical or use power in ways that were unfair and unjust to young people. As you know, they're really for me because this is really the only thing I've ever done for my work is to work with teenagers. And so I'm just acutely aware of the hypocrisy of adults and how sometimes we look to young people, even to the best of our intentions. Like, I, I'm more than just a touchstone, is that I consistently have more touchstones, right? It's like I have consistently have more reminders that what we do at Cultures of Dignity, what I've done over the last 20 plus years 
is important because young people need to have access to be able to say their voice, but also not only it's about their rights to be opinionated about something, but this very delicate balance between intention, between my right to speak and also recognizing somebody else's right to speak. And for boys to understand and a lot, you know, we can go down this road a lot. They've always had this, but of course it's exacerbated now is the tension between those things. Like I want to be able to say my opinion, right? And I have the right to be able to do that. I, as a male person, have certain privileges some, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes to be able to speak in a way that more people will listen. But I also believe, because I work in all different kinds of communities, that I certainly have seen boys who abuse the privilege that they have. And I likewise have seen boys who are not able to say what they really feel because it is not a safe space for boys to be able to say things that are unpopular to the, the teachers or to the administration of a school, and, right? And so both things are now really, really true. And the way that I walk through it with boys is this tension is, is admitting, acknowledging and teaching and working with them about this tension between their rights and their responsibilities to themselves mm-hmm. and other people. And so as you're working with boys, you're also helping them uh, work through conflicts with each other, I'm guessing, and sure. also conflicts with their parents mm-hmm. and teachers. And mm-hmm. so can you give us maybe your top tip of mm-hmm. what parents can say to their boys? And I'm thinking of a mom that is in my Boys Alive Facebook group, which I, I told them we were speaking today and said, oh, do you have any questions for Rosalind? Mm-hmm. And this mom had chimed in a couple days ago asking about this conflict with her teen who had been in a situation where there was uh, some violence and older kids, he's maybe 16 and there were 18, 19 year olds in this situation. And it was a situation where the police should have been called. There was a gun shot and this boy had told his mother some of the situation, but very clear that he did not want her to say anything to anyone. And so her question for you is, how do you work with this boy who is Mom's trying to get across doing the right thing and no, you're not snitching. This was a situation that you need to tell someone about. And him being so incredibly angry with her mm-hmm. for saying that she, you know, she has to go to the authorities. Mm-hmm. She has mm-hmm. to let this right. know what's going on. Right. So, you know, this is what's tough about you know, being a quote unquote parenting expert. Right. Just that, um, you know, there's a lot of people who say like, this is definitively what you should do. And I don't think a lot of these situations, there's a definitive answer to any of these things. Right. Because the easy answer for me to say is, uh, um, well, you know, reporting is, is to make the problem smaller. He has to go to the authorities. That's what you do. And that's what the adult responsibility is to do, whether he likes it or not, because your job is not to be the friend to a child and, you know, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the context in which you're describing, these are older boys. That's the first thing. Number two is, I don't know how competent the adults are in this young man's life. Right? I mean, it is true that there are children who report things to adults and the adults make it worse. 
If we are going to not admit that, we are setting our, our children up for bad situa- for a situation to get worse. We are literally contributing to that because we're not acknowledging the messiness of adults. So I would back it way up, which is to, if I was that mother and say, okay, you are in a scary situation, no doubt, scary situation. I wouldn't even ask the, you know, the young man of like, do you think the person who has had the weapon was serious about it? Or like, were they, you know, that kind of stuff too complicated Mm -hmm. It is all right. We have a situation that, um, and usually the thing that's really anxiety producing and understandably so is that this young man might run into these boys again. I don't know what the relationship is with them, but it stands to reason that they would. Mm-hmm. So again, there is a real reason, an incentive for this boy. And there doesn't have to be a weapon here. You can actually just bring it back to their 10 years old or 12 years old and they have the same problem. The boy's going to run into these boys again. Yes. So given that as an understanding, as a certainty, and certainly whether or not they ever see the, the boys again, that the son does, the fact is he's carrying that with him as his anxiety and his fear. And that is real. And the other thing that's real is that adults, parents don't have to usually deal with the consequences of whatever happens, but the children do. Yeah. So it's easy for us to say report. We need to turn that around, look in the mirror and say, if we were in the same situation, would we be so like adamant about reporting? Probably not. So what I would do with that son is say, that is incredibly frightening. And like, I am so sorry that happened to you. And that's incredibly frightening. And I am so thankful that you trusted me to tell me. Yeah. Um, that is a huge leap of faith. And I like that. I really respect that you, and I'm like appreciative that you would respect me so much that you would tell me that. So that's the first thing you have to do. Yes. Second is you say, all right, I might want you to report because I want the problem to go away, but I know that that's complicated. So, and then he's going to say, no, 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 I don't want, I don't want to do that. Right. So what I would do is say, all right, no pressure on reporting right now. What I want you to do is I want you to tell me before this incident happened, how did you get here, right? Like, right, did you know, like how, what are the interactions that you've had before with these boys? Is there a pattern? Like, just give me like two or three things that come to your mind that led up to you getting into this situation. Okay, so is, and then from there, and after you listen to him is, and what is your biggest fear moving forward? If you reported it, what's your biggest fear? And if you didn't report it, what's your biggest fear? Mm-hmm. Then what I would do is say, again, no pressure. Who is the adult in your life that you think is the most competent, the person that you trust the most to handle a, to handle a situation like this, to help you think through a problem like this? I, can wa- I will be with you to the extent that you, you know, want me to, or pretty much I would say as a mother, I want to be there for at least some part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, let's choose who that person is. And we're just going to go through this step by step by step. And that way you're going to get some more measure of control and a, an ability to think through what is the most strategic way to handle this problem. Mm-hmm. So that's how I would handle it, weapon or not. This is a scary situation for all kids. The weapon makes it way more scary, but talk to a 12-year-old who's dealing with a group of 14-year-old boys and he's terrified yeah. for the same reasons. So that's how I would handle it. That's brilliant on so many levels and helping this mom to see, to step around into her son's shoes and, and backing it up and seeing you know, what was the progression is valuable for, as you said, 12-year-olds, 8-year-olds, 10-year-olds out yeah, there that absolutely. are so fearful and worried. So another question from one of our Facebook moms was how to help a 
boy survive and thrive in his first year of high school, which mm-hmm. kind of circles right back around to those yeah. older boys. And yeah. oh my gosh, that first year yeah. of high school for boys yeah, is rough. so rough. Yeah, so rough. How do you help a ninth grade boys survive? Well, you know, it actually in some ways there's nuances to it based on how big the kid is and how tall the child is and how mature he looks. Now, all of those things have different complications. So, you know, if a young man is very, has not sort of physically matured and most, a lot of kids haven't by 14, although puberty is starting earlier for both boys and for girls, but you know, if he's on the smaller side or if he's on the slighter side or looks younger, it's going to be harder for him in some ways, in some ways, socially, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, connected to other people. Maybe, maybe, or maybe these are all maybes right. that girls aren't going to like him as much. And so they tend still to go towards boys that look more mature or whatever, you know, in seventh grade, when they have that little funky little mustache that some of them like to... <laughs> <laughs> it always cracks me up. I teach seventh graders now. It's just hilarious. But, um, but you know, because what happens, of course, is that he's starting to compare and contrast himself to other boys. And it, the, maybe the boys in his friend group, like if he's the youngish looking one, he's going to get teased for it. And it depends on how much it bothers him, right? Because boys have this thing where they can tease each other, but you can never say it's not funny, which is one of the big problems in boy world is that actually you get to have things in your life that you think are not funny and you get to say that's not funny and your friends should actually respect you enough to back off instead of pressing even more and going after you even more. Um, but the positive is, is that people tend to treat you like you are the age you are. When you look much older, when you're bigger, when you're more mature, people treat you older. And that might look on the, on the face of it, it might look positive. It's actually pretty complicated because people really do expect things that are different from you, which means that you'll be put into more advanced social situations with your peers and with girls, right? Mm-hmm. Senior girls might be more attracted to you and you're going to have all of this pressure on you to do whatever the girls want to do. And you're not mm-hmm. going to feel like you can say no because there's all this pressure on boys to be heterosexual and to, you know, be able to never say no to a girl who comes on to them. Um, they, if they're athletes, you know, lots of times parents feel like, oh, my parent, like my kid's a star athlete and it's, you know, he's so big and strapping and all that. Those boys are in more complicated social dynamics. We very rarely talk about it and they are not going to tell their parents until things blow up usually because usually the parents are so excited about the fact that they're like playing varsity sports that they brag about it a lot. And the more you brag about it, the less likely your son is going to tell you about problems like hazing or whatever it is. They go to a party and some senior girl hits on them. They go to a party. Some guy really wants them to drink, thinks it's funny to make him drink until he passes out or throws up. Right. So then they can record it and show it to everybody. Mm -hmm. So all of these things make it really complicated for that kind of a boy as well. So in answer to your question, I think the thing is to understand the context, to be able to look at your, the friends of your son, don't necessarily make ter- like judgments about like, oh, that's a bad kid or a bad family. Cause as soon mm-hmm. as you do that, that's usually about your own baggage. Mm-hmm. And the other part is, is that you're really looking at being able to maintain a relationship with this wonderful boy, which means when you see him at the end of the day, that you don't ask him a million questions. And just say, I love you. And I'm so glad you're in my life. And then you walk away. And if he wants to talk, then you talk. Yeah. And be available when he wants to talk, which is usually very inconvenient time for you as mom. But yeah, gotta be there. Absolutely. You still do it. You know, like I have a 16 year old who doesn't talk a lot. And 
last night, you know, he was reading a book. It was, it was about 10 o'clock at night. And I was right before I was going to bed. And I um, asked if I could, you know, he was, he was in his bed reading. And I asked if I could sit down, if I could lie down, excuse me. And I told him, you know, I loved him and, you know, rubbed his hair a little bit and like moms do and walked away, you know, said goodnight and just gave him a couple seconds if he wanted to talk to me. I didn't get anything, but it doesn't take away from the fact that I loved him. And, you know, and I expressed that, you know, we had that like warm interchange. Right, right. So I'm curious, you're traveling all over the country and internationally, you are a very busy woman. And (laughs) I'm just curious how the conversations have changed kind of on the bigger scale Mm -hmm. out in the world, Mm -hmm. definitely 20 years ago, but even two years ago. Yeah. It's hard because, um, I do work around the world and if, you know, for example, if you mention the word me too, there will be boys that get in your face right away, right away starting in about eighth grade, you mentioned that stuff, you better be ready, willing, and able to have a nuanced conversation about it or don't even bother having it Um, because you're just going to reinforce the arguments that they already have or the defenses that they already have or whatever they're hearing because they really are, they're ready. They're ready to argue. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have no problem arguing. And I think that they usually have really, really good points. So that's something that I'm dealing with or that we are seeing. Second is, you know, this is not like, I think parents of, uh, parents of boys will hear this. I think, right. People who don't have boys, um, have a harder time to get more reactive about this, but there are some truths here, which does not have to do with statistics about things. These are the two things that that I think are important. Number one is as a mother of, of of high school boys, of adolescent boys, but also somebody who's been working with boys and girls for a long time and advocating about sexual violence prevention and domestic abusive relationships for a long time, it is extremely important to recognize the fear that boys have about being accused of sexual assault when they did not do it. Mm. You can talk about the rates of false accusations, but to not honor the actual fear that some boys have is really misguided. And we would never do that to girls about no, your experiences or your feelings don't matter. We would never say that to girls about these kinds of issues because we've worked really hard as we should have to validate women's experiences and girls' experiences. Mm-hmm. And so when we do that, we are contributing to the lack of discourse and we're contributing to not being able to give boys and girls the tools that they need to have whatever their sexual orientation, the consensual relationships that they deserve. And that the vast, vast majority of them, of course, want. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. Second Mm -hmm. is that girls are complicated. And sometimes they can, and I've been in in work, yet having girls understand that people cannot read their minds. And that's true for boys too. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be able to say, people have, there are reasons why we have a hard time communicating with each other, especially about relationships and consensual sexual interactions and things like that, 100%. And we need to understand that we're living in that kind of world and we're living in a world where adults really struggle to give you the advice and the education and the straightforward information that you need. That's why you go to Google. So it's really important that we recognize that. And when we do that, that we can have honest conversations with boys and with girls. Otherwise, we're going to let this ridiculous political extremism and punditry with people Mm -hmm. who... 
I don't think have worked with teenagers forever and are just so wanting to divide all of us that we let that conversation happen. And instead, when we have real conversations and allow for the messiness of it, then young people will move towards us and be much better to be able to advocate for themselves, be safer, and there'll be less sexual violence and less non-consensual experiences and yuckiness overall if we can stop listening to the, the really not helpful, not helpful extremes and really focus on what young people need. And so what is your advice to that mom out there that's listening that's like, I know, I think I know all that, but man, I do not even know where to start. Smart. Well, I think you, first of all, I think moms of boys who have only boys can get a little bit protective of their boys. And then you sort of, you know, sort of start to not look at girls as, as wonderful as they can be. Right. You're like, really are focusing <laughs> on boys of like, you better be careful. And those girls, <laughs> right. And that's not helpful either. So if we're really, so if you have only boys, um, you really, it's more easy, I think, to have that experience. And I would really caution you away from that because girls are struggling just like boys are. And so what you do is, you know, if you've had it, of course, this is about how your son is seeing you and his relationship with you, how you express anger to your son. How are you apologizing to your, to, how does he see you apologize? Do you apologize when you've done something wrong, like unethical, or, you know, you've made a mistake, you've hurt somebody and you've made a mistake. Do you own it? And handle it and say, oh, wow, I'm really sorry about that. And you handle it as, you know, as the awesome parent adult that you are. Or do you not? And you refuse to do it and look at your own behavior. Or do you over-apologize? There's lots of women, unfortunately, who over-apologize, right? Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But yet they haven't done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. So if you're over-apologizing, that's what you're doing is setting your son up for thinking that women do that kind of stuff, right? So... I think that's really important is how you role model apologizing, how you role model conflict, Um, meaning that you are a substantive person who can handle themselves, treat yourself with dignity, with worth, and you treat other people with dignity and worth when you are in conflict with people. I think that's really important. And I also think the thing with boys is, is that sometimes our boys get bigger than us, right? Like when we have boys, they're bigger, they're stronger. I have, my boys are enormous. They are way stronger than I am. And I think that there is something about the physical difference that can really start to impact women's relationships with their sons. And so we have to get them to respect us as mothers. And the way they respect us is by our actions, right? So of course, we res- they should respect us as mothers because we in some way brought them into this world or cared for them, right? Doesn't matter how they right. came into our lives. But it's more than that because there are mothers who treat their children terribly. It is about you are being respected as a mother because of the way that you treat yourself and others with dignity. When that happens, your son's going to be able to look at you as a really powerful role model. Let's talk about boys. And I'm glad you brought up this physical difference. This, Mm -hmm. you know, they do get bigger, they do get Mm -hmm. more powerful and, Mm -hmm. and there is, that big emotion of anger. And I talk to a lot of moms who are afraid of their son's anger. Yeah. And how, yeah, how to work with that. And I mean, there's a lot of work that we as women have to do around that, but it's powerful. Just this mom that was talking about the incident earlier and 
the incredible anger of her son and she's a single mom. So, you know, there's not, you can't bring dad into the picture. What's your advice to moms in navigating that fear of their son's anger? So this is like the thing we don't like to talk about, right? Because it's the thing of, it's easy to feel ashamed or you feel like, you know, it's this dirty laundry kind of secret. And I think that a lot of moms deal with this. I certainly have as a mom. And um, I mean, I've dealt with it as with students, right? Because sometimes I'm working with high school students that are like, you know, way bigger than me. But with when it's your child, it's the other, it's also on top of that, of your anger, even if you're really angry at him, by the way, that there's this anxiety and love that like smushes into your anger and his anger. And it just makes it an impossible mess of feelings. Here's the way I I differentiate boys who are angry going outward or boys that are angry going inward. What I can tell you is that I think it's really important to, when you're with your son and you don't feel safe, let me back up a second. Your son uses, I pick my battles with bad words, always Mm -hmm. have. Mm -hmm. So my sons within reason, except when my mom, my, their grandmother is around and I don't really, I really don't like it, but, um, <laughs> is they can use bad. I, if I had to choose, I don't like them using F bombs. I don't like them doing that. But if I'm choosing, I'd rather them use an F bomb as they are talking about something, than use the B word or use any kind of derogatory term mm-hmm. towards somebody, their sexual orientation, their race, or their, their mm-hmm. gender that not allowed. And they've actually argued with me about the B word. We've actually had family discussions about that, which I think is fine. Like, mm-hmm. I, know, I know that they probably, they, not probably, they are. They using, are. Right. They are <laughs> using those words when I'm not around. They know, I think they're using, I would hope, I'm, I'll just say it that way. I just, you know, I put what <laughs> my standards are, right? So I choose my battles with words mm-hmm. and what I stand for and they know what I stand for. And one of the things I say to boys, my boys and with my students, and this is like in preference of preface, excuse me, of getting to this place of anger is I say to them, so what did you, what did you just hear from me? Or what do you think is important that I just said? Can you just get, can you tell me back what I said to you? Mm -hmm. Um, And that way it's a check-in of like, how much were you hearing me? Because you really don't know with their brains and with, they just don't, you just don't know. So I ask them and to, for them to sort of mimic it back to me. That's the first thing. I choose my battles. Second thing. Third is, is that if I feel like I'm overwhelming them, I say, or if they're too upset or too angry, and sometimes they're upset and angry at the same time, right? And they can't, they just, it's just so much for them that I say to them, when I see it coming, like, all right, where can you go or what do you need right now to be able to just have some peace? What do you need right now? Part of it is like, I could leave. Part of, like, I, I can leave. I'm fine with that. Do you want me to leave? Yes. Now, here's the thing that's hard for moms. We tend to talk more after we have that conversation mm-hmm. and we have to stop talking. When we ask that question and our child says, I want to be alone, we walk out the door. And yeah. so or we walk out of the room or we do not follow them when they go up to their room to get some peace. Mm-hmm. So we ask them when they're really angry, what do you need right now? Then honor that. If they are being disrespectful to us, then we are. Then we say to them, hey, the, like, you are you angry I get that totally under I don't understand it but I certainly see it you can't say like I understand what you're feeling because you don't no so you say I get it I get where you're at I I need to know what you need and at the same time there's you must treat me this and then you have to be specific about what that is 
Mm-hmm. If you don't get that, then I'm, what I say to my boys is I am, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk away from this situation. And at a later point, when we both decide that we can have a better chance of having a conversation, we can do it. We can try again. Mm-hmm. And then I leave. I walk away. Or if my child walks away because he's, or, you know, walks away because he's so angry, I let him walk out the door. Even when I am angry, even when I am terrified, I let him walk out the door. Mm-hmm. And it's not, and I have let that, I've had that experience of let, of having a, of one of my children just being so insanely angry and him just being like, I'm out of here. And I had to let him, I had to let him go. And I did not chase him out the door. It's tough. Oh my God, it's heartbreaking. It's enraging and heartbreaking all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes actually what's even worse is sometimes it's sort of funny, which is horrible. Oh. Right? Because sometimes they get so angry about like the dumbest stuff. <laughs> and you're and you're like, really? This is, this is, or they get angry at you and you're like, I have handled this so reasonably, right? And the kid is, your child is freaking out. And it's really hard sometimes not to laugh. And laughing is horrible because it's mocking the person. Right. Not so really. That. But I, but at the same time, got to be honest, like sometimes it can be hard not to be. Yeah. Right? yeah. Sometimes it's hard not to. So. Right. But walk away, walk away right. and then. <laughs> put your head down mumble walk away exactly. yeah. oh my gosh oh there's so much and I just know that you have been a pillar of strength for so many and <laughs> wisdom and even though you may not feel like it when you're in your kitchen with your angry boy <laughs> um, you should have you should have seen me on when was it it was a week ago it was a week ago today <laughs> I was having a moment about a week ago today. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Well, that's heartening to all the rest of us who know that you too have your moments. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So tell us, tell our listeners where they can learn more about your work with cultures of dignity. And um, we haven't even talked about this, the curriculum that you've developed oh, around okay. well, Yeah. So. Yeah. The- um, the organization is called Cultures of Dignity. We just had we have, um, high school interns who work with me and um, and us and our team. And one of them, we give them the power basically to choose from some of the things that I've written sometimes of like what they think parents should like really read again or read for the first time. And I just, something came across my desk where one of our high school interns who was so funny, like such a freshman boy is so funny. And he of course picked the, why do boys lie to you section from masterminds to um, put his own spin on. And so we just published, just published that on our cultures of dignity website. So we are constantly putting stuff like that up and it's informed by the boys and of course by the girls. And then I have a curriculum called Owning Up, which is um, teachers and everybody can, you can get it wherever, wherever, but we're also implementing it in very systematized ways in um, places in the country, including Dallas, Texas, and some other schools around the country. So I'm heavily involved in trying to create a system in a school that actually gives the teachers the support that they need to be able to do advisory programs, homeroom programs, social emotional learning programs with emphasis on the support that they need to feel confident to be able to deliver the program. So that's what we've been doing and that's what we continue to spend a tremendous amount of time on. That is so needed. And you know, the fact that you are talking to the kids and you're getting the input from the kids is gives it a credibility that that is going to stand the test of time. And it's not just one more program that teachers have to implement and 
is kind of ho-hum. This is a program that is is going to help them have the tools and the language and the approach that they will see is effective. Yeah. And actually the coolest part about this is that if you follow us on Twitter, which is cultures, O dignity and not of it's cultures, O dignity. One of the coolest things that I'm seeing, and it's been increasing in the last six months is um, teachers are taking owning up and then doing their own lesson plans and modifications to it. And they're doing it and posting it on Twitter and Pinterest for other people to see. And there's been a real steady uptick of that recently. So I've been learning a lot watching how people are implementing the program as well. Oh, awesome. That's fabulous. And do you have another book in the in the wings? Well, I, I just did I just did a speech at the Royal Society of Arts um, in London two two and a half three three weeks ago, um, and it's about and it is what I'm getting ready to start writing another book about. Um, so if you're interested, it's the RSA.org, and when you go there, put my last name in, and it'll pop up, and you'll okay. see me speaking for about twenty minutes on the topic that I am going to be writing again. That's what I'm going to do my next topic. Oh, nice. So leave, leave us with a little mystery there, Rosalind. No, the mystery is why <laughs> that adult, I can say what the mystery is, which is why do adults define respect so differently than young people? Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, that is a whole nother podcast interview altogether. <laughs> I hope you'll come back one day sure. and we will post all the links in the show notes and, and people will be able to connect with you and find out how to bring this curriculum and bring you to their communities. Well, thank you. Absolutely. We are here for you. Thank you for all the work you do, Rosalind. Thanks. Boys and anger is a topic we are hearing lots about. We want you to know you are not alone. You can go to boysalive.com backslash anger and receive a free audio download to help you understand the complexities of your son's anger. Also includes tips and strategies for how you can help him cope with this big emotion. Thanks for joining us. We are Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison, and we are here to support you in parenting and teaching tomorrow's men.